this was so good. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is focused on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I waited, and I waited, and I'm putting up a uh, late episode this week because I wanted to make sure that I could watch the film so that I could give you guys a review. And, wow. Wow, 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 is all I can say. Um, the film was incredible. I saw it last night, and uh, kind of late night, yet still early, because it was Thursday screening. So um, I got my coffee, got my water. I am raring to go, because this movie, folks, was incredible. Um I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that it's probably my favorite Spider-Man film. Um, Just everything that was put into it, from the animation to the voice acting to the storytelling, it was just, it was a perfect blend of everything that I like about comics. If you're a fan of comic books, if you're a fan of Spider-Man, you need to do yourself a favor and go see this. That is the short version. the long version is going to take a little bit more time with that, but I just wanted to get that out of the way so you folks know that I am a fan of this movie. I am a fan of the comic books. I am a fan of Spider-Man. So I will have a little bit of bias. I have been accused uh, other times of being kind of a uh, champion of comic book films, even when they're not that great. And while I will take that with some things, I full-on believe that this is an incredible film. This is one of the highest-rated, not just animated films, but comic book films of all time. I think right now it's sitting on Rotten Tomatoes at like a 99%. Uh, Might go down to like 98%, maybe. But people seem to universally really love this film. And so I got my notes here. I'm going to try and go through it. Um, But just so you guys know, this is going to be spoiler filled. Uh, If you haven't seen the film, check it out. Come back and we'll discuss. But for those of you who have seen the film or for those of you who don't care about spoilers, welcome. Good to have you. So I've got my notes here, and the first thing that really struck out to me, because I've got my list, my uh, little bullet points, was Miles Morales. Miles Morales is the feature, he is the lead, he is Spider-Man. And I was a little worried when they first announced this, that um, the title Into the Spider-Verse was going to, I guess, kind of overshadow Miles as a character, and... 
when they started releasing the trailers showing that there were other spider people from other worlds in the multiverse i got really worried that miles was going to kind of take a back seat to this larger spider-verse story and i'm happy to report that that is not the case he is the first uh spider-man that we really get to know he is the lead for the character and he drives the film he is the eyes and ears of the audience because we're all kind of experiencing this with him uh, you can see that he's a normal kid. You can see that he's incredibly relatable. One of the things that I kind of argued with a, lo a lot of people on is that a lot of people seem to believe that Miles Morales is kind of just a uh, a black Peter Parker, that he's kind of just a uh, ethnic ripoff. And this film proves that that is not the case. Because he has his own character, he's incredibly likable just as a person, and when he starts to get these powers, he starts to approach them in a way that any normal person would, any way that I would, any way that you probably would. And he is charismatic, uh, sometimes to a fault, sometimes that gets him in a little bit of trouble, uh, but he's still learning. He's still a kid who is learning not just uh, the ropes of being a Spider-Man, but also the ropes of life. He's growing up. The film does an incredible job of showing uh, the hero's journey from how Miles is at the beginning of the film to how he is as Spider-Man. And it takes a fair amount of time. Like, he doesn't get his powers right as soon as the uh, opening credits roll. It takes some time for him to get the powers, and then once he has the powers, it takes him pretty much till near the end of the movie for him to really get a hang of them and to really uh suit up in his trademark spider-man suit but i just thought shameek moore who voiced him did an incredible job uh he's he was fun he's charming he's still learning and he's an incredibly likable protagonist and i really liked going on that journey with him uh next up we have peter parker and for those of you who have seen the film I am talking about Jake Johnson's Peter Parker and not Chris Pine's Peter Parker, though both of them are great. At the start of the film, uh, I went and saw it with my girlfriend, and we were watching and we were seeing the opening montage of Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker just doing his day-to-day -day life, and I started to notice, I was like, this isn't Jake Johnson. This is, or I mean, it might be. I've never seen New Girl or anything, but I have been enjoying what I've been hearing in the uh, the trailers leading up to this and I kept I kept listening to his lines he he had a little bit of uh, dialogue with Miles he had some quips that he's known for throwing and I just kept thinking to myself that doesn't sound like Jake Johnson I don't know what that sounds like and then near the uh, near the end of the first I want to say the first like third of the film uh, his mask gets pulled off and is revealed to be a blonde Peter Parker, which for me, as a longtime fan of the comics, I looked at that and I said, that's fucking Ben Riley. That is Ben Riley, And that made sense to me why they had different voices. And this Peter Parker, who is the Peter Parker, the Spider-Man of Miles Morales' universe, is voiced by Chris Pine of uh, Star Trek and Wonder Woman fame. And it was just so good. I was really... I really enjoyed that this is the Spider-Man that we kind of all know. The Spider-Man who's at peak uh, peak physical condition. He knows what he's doing. He's got it under control. He's been doing it for a while. 
Uh, he's married to Mary Jane. They do like a full montage of clips that include stuff obviously uh, influenced by the Raimi films, by uh, the MCU Tom Holland films, and even a little bit by the Andrew Garfield films. And I really enjoy that because as a fan of Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, I was pleasantly surprised by that. But I thought it was really interesting that they showed him as a blonde Peter Parker to kind of let us know that, hey, this isn't the one that you're going to be dealing with, and this is an alternate universe from the one that we are all accustomed to. And it's not until, you know, round, uh, right after that kind of intro first 45 minutes or so that we are introduced to the Peter Parker that we will be kind of with for the rest of the film. And that Peter Parker is voiced by Jake Johnson. And what I thought was really interesting is after uh, Spider-Man of this universe dies, Peter Parker, they show his gravestone. It shows from... Uh, 1991 to 2018 so he was only 26 maybe no he was only 27 uh, maybe 28 years old and I thought that was wild that he was had everything in control and then to contrast that the Peter Parker that's voiced by Jake Johnson he he seems like he's pushing 40 uh, he's got a little bit of gray got a little bit of the Mr. Fantastic gray in his hair he's a slob he's kind of got a gut he's older uh, and he's kind of had a tragic um i don't want to say tragic but kind of sad uh story that's coming with him and that he kind of addresses a lot of the stuff that no one really wants to talk about when peter parker gets older in that he really peaked in his late teens to early 20s and so after that with all of how he kind of came into his own and grew up so quickly after Uncle Ben died, he really, it stunted his uh, his maturation and his like emotional growth and that he's very just flippant, he's crude, he doesn't care about a whole lot and he has trouble thinking about moving on to the next phase of his life which causes him and Mary Jane to get a divorce. And I mean, seeing that they got divorced is just awful it's it's sad and then showing that he moved into some little like rinky dink apartment probably in like you know back in queens or in a lower income uh part of new york and he's just slaving away he's there's a scene where he's like in the spider-man suit but he's like crying in the shower and yeah it's like it's comedic it's played up for comedy but i thought it was incredibly sad that his life had taken such a turn and i thought that it was interesting that a lot of a lot of comic book writers don't like to uh, age up Peter Parker too much. They like to keep him early to mid twenties, and that's as old as they'll let him get because they don't want him to get older. They don't want him to start dealing with, you know, paying a mortgage or having kids and you know taxes and all that stuff. So they're trying to keep him as uh, kid friendly and as youthful as possible, but. I'm interested in those stories that allow you to explore what life is like on the tail end of having a superhero career. And for Peter Parker, who has always been working off of a um, a photographer, a freelance photographer, that that kind of salary and not being able to uh, emotionally grow into 
an adult where that sets him later on down the line where he's just not able to emotionally cope with the idea that he's getting older and that he's becoming an adult and that he's in his middle age so i really enjoyed this version of peter parker i was surprised because again i'm not super familiar with uh, a lot of jake johnson's roles most of my uh, experience with him is with these trailers and with seeing like little clips here and there of New Girl. I've never watched it, but I've heard a lot of good things about him, and I was really excited to get this new take and his voice. He's able to breathe a different life into Peter Parker that we don't really see in the in the mainstream. As comic fans, we've seen older Peter Parker. We've seen Peter Parker from Renew Your Vows. Uh, they brought him back for the. Uh, spider-geddon story that's going on right now and the renew your vows book has been incredible from the outset but a lot of people are familiar with either a a tom holland style spider-man where he's still in high school or b the um college age slash uh mid-20s peter parker who we get in like the um tail end of the sam raimi films or the Andrew Garfield, or the second Andrew Garfield film, or even in the PS4 Spider-Man game. Those Spider-Men are examples of Spider-Men who have been doing it for a little while, but are still kind of figuring things out as they go. But this Peter Parker was so just... God, he was so done with everything, and I really enjoyed seeing a tired Peter Parker. And there's this moment that he has with Aunt May when they go and visit the Aunt May of, of Miles's world, and in... Peter's world his Aunt May died and so both of them both our Peter Parker and then the Aunt May of Miles's world have both lost each other in their respective worlds so when Aunt May opens the door and she goes and she rests her hand on Peter Parker's face she says you look tired it like oh man it hits it hit me hit me really hard and Peter provides a lot more um a lot more emotional depth to the film than I thought that he would. I mean, of course, Peter Parker's always been kind of an emotional character. He's driven by a lot of personal loss and everything about that. But I didn't expect this, especially from the from you know the beginning of his uh, his arc through the film. I didn't expect him to have as much um, warmth and as much uh, just. Uh, I wouldn't. I didn't expect him to bring the feels as much as he did in this film. And I was pleasantly surprised at the budding uh, bromance that went on between him and Miles throughout the film. How they were teaching each other in their own ways. How they were interacting with each other. The whole uh, opening scene of them arguing, just walking up and down this the side of this building was great. And it's a great inventive way for them to have that conversation without them without it being just them sitting in Miles' living room. So I really enjoyed that. Him having kind of a complete arc. There's one of my favorite lines and one of my favorite moments is near the end where he's like really realizing how much he's enjoying teaching Miles. And he's just like, they're in the middle of like a fight and everything. And he's just feeling really like up on himself. And he's like, wait, do I want kids? Like he's really like realizing that he can move past being an emotionally stunted teenager in that he can be an adult and still be who he is as Spider-Man. So I love that. And then seeing at the very end, after he goes back to his own universe where he shows up at uh, MJ's door with flowers, it was incredible. I loved his arc. I really loved him as a character. And 
even though it we kind of completed his arc i would not be opposed to seeing more of that spider-man uh next up on the list we have gwen gwen stacy gwen pool not gwen pool gwen spider gwen there we go um there's so many gwens out in comics now but uh she was great uh she was voiced by Haley steinfeld uh my really the only experience i can think of her from off the top of my head is from the pitch perfect movies where she's fine she plays character but this one she really gave a different spin on uh gwen stacy that i don't think i really expected um she ve- uh she plays it very close to the comic version of spider gwen same backstory um same attitude same fight style even though in this i think they really took a lot of her movement off of uh, ballet dancers and included kind of like ballet style shoes on her uh, her spider costume but i was surprised i never like we've gotten a lot of different gwen stacy interpretations uh, probably most notably the Emma Stone Gwen Stacy from the Andrew Garfield films. But this Gwen Stacy just felt different, and I liked that. I liked how she felt a little bit more streetwise, she felt a little bit more um, capable, and she felt a little bit more um, uh, just kind of like punky. I don't know if that's the right word, but she had attitude, but at the same time, she was constantly in control of herself. And a lot of times she would be giving quips or settling down arguments between other members of the spider crew, and it was just a great, great time, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, She provides a lot of the kind of uh, emotional support, as well as she's probably the most put together out of all of them uh she seems like she has a really great handle on her life back in her uh her dimension and she kind of provides the i guess the spock role where she's kind of keeping everybody together and focused and i really enjoyed her kind of romance with miles the burgeoning like romance that was kind of hinted at at the end of the film and even though they kept her backstory a little bit more vague than I was expecting, uh, they did still touch on it, the fact that she was bit by the spider instead of Peter. And though they didn't specifically name him, you could see that uh, Peter ends up becoming the lizard, and through their fight, he ends up dying. And so she kind of has walled herself off from having friends and having um a team so she also has to go through this journey of her trusting people and her um counting on others to help her and having friends so she was great i really liked her and i really liked the uh the opening kind of uh conversations interactions she had with miles with how um we see in the trailers that she has this kind of like shaved side haircut and the rest of her hair is fine but um how we get to that haircut i thought was really uh really funny and i was enjoying all of the um the interactions between her and all of the other spiders on the team uh next up we have uh jefferson davis and aaron davis the two brothers davis uh, Jefferson Davis is Miles's dad, and uh, Aaron Davis is his uncle Aaron. And for those of you who haven't read the comics or anything uh, like that, um, 
I thought it was really interesting what they did with uh, Aaron Davis's character because it's very easy because it's revealed that Aaron Davis is uh, the Prowler who is kind of an underling of the Kingpin and he's kind of like his hitman and when they do the reveal of him there were audible gasps in the theater and uh, my girlfriend who came with me to watch the film she was even like oh my god that's his uncle that's his uncle like it was it was a great reveal for those of uh those of the audience who weren't familiar with the comics and for me it was an interesting knowing that going in was interesting to watch how they kind of um they they really took their time with that reveal they waited until what it was the most emotionally impacting and when they ended up having him um still have that soft spot for miles even though he wasn't sorry for being a villain uh i thought it was really great and in the comics he's a very different character when he finds out about miles's powers he wants to use them for crime and he ends up being you know kind of staying as this just really terrible person so i was interested to see how they were going to approach that especially because they have the amazing marshala ali voicing him of uh he was Cottonmouth and Luke Cage, and he's done many, many other things. He's been kind of blowing up in the last year or two, and he fit the character so well. He voiced him. He was he was fantastic. And when they ended up uh, on the rooftop, Prowler's going to kill Spider-Man. Miles knows that the Prowler is uh, his Uncle Aaron, but the Prowler doesn't know that this new Spider-Man is Miles. Miles pulls up his mask and he's like, please, please don't kill me. And Aaron Davis just pulls his mask off and he like sets him back. He's not going to touch him because this Aaron Davis is essentially his Uncle Ben. He is someone who tried to uh, teach Miles as much as he could, even if at certain times it wasn't uh, exactly what his parents would have wanted him to be taught. And when Kingpin kills him, oh man, we were no one was expecting that we were really surprised especially because again he's so different and his journey is so different in the comics that him getting shot and then miles kind of having this goodbye with him in the alleyway was heartbreaking um and then pairing that right off with uh jefferson davis his dad he was and i don't feel like it's too arguable to say but i feel like he was the most human character out of the entire cast uh he had very strong convictions but he at certain times he could tell that he was wrong about something and that he never had a problem uh admitting that i really enjoyed that um because a lot of times when it comes to jefferson davis we see he's either like in the comics where he is just um super like um i'm trying to think of the word he's uh super strict police dad who really is just kind of looking down on miles in the comics if you haven't uh checked it out yet we did an entire episode focused solely on miles morales and we touch on his father in those comics his father is not very kind to him and when he finds out he's spider-man and all this stuff he essentially like disowns him and the two 
really don't have that good of a relationship in the original Miles Morales universe. Now that he's in the uh, new 616, they've dis- they've expanded on his character and they've made him a bit more of a, uh, a fun character. And then on the flip side of that kind of like really strict police parent, you also get in the uh, Spider-Man PS4 game where he is an absolute saint. He is without flaw, and when he dies in that game, spoilers for that game, um, he it's it's a tragic loss, but you really don't get to see any of his human aspects. And in this film, I really enjoyed Jefferson Davis. I've I've liked uh, his appearances in the past, but this one is probably my favorite because he is just he's so relatable where he you find him struggling to be a dad he doesn't have all the answers he doesn't always get it right and when he gets it wrong he really struggles with it but he's also trying to do the best that he can for his son and for his family and when they have their interactions throughout the film it's heartbreaking it's really heartbreaking because you see how strained that relationship is at times where um Jefferson Davis really, I keep I keep saying his full name. I'm just going to call him Jeff. Uh, Jeff wants Miles to be as good as he can be, and he sees these uh, tendencies for him to idolize his brother Aaron. And knowing that Jeff went into the police force, Aaron went into a life of crime, Like it's hard for him to uh, kind of make sense of that and really deal with that on an emotional level. And so he, at some times, he'll snap at Miles. He will... Um, be very uh, kind of standoffish as a parent with him, but he's always, you see him constantly struggling with being a parent, and I really loved that. I really loved watching him figure things out alongside Miles. So I really enjoyed both of them. Uh, next up, I have all of the other Spider crew. Uh, I kind of need to lump all three of them together because they each got uh, the same amount of screen time and the same amount of stuff to do in the film. But Penny Parker, uh, Spider-Ham, and Spider-Man Noir were great additions. I really liked how the animation style for each of them was so different. And whenever they would like check back on like, oh, here you go with the origin story. For each of these characters, it showed that there's an entire universe that looks just like them in their animation style. And how they fit and at the same point stuck out when in Miles' universe really helped distinguish all of them from each other and i liked that they were given enough emotional depth that they weren't just like all right wacky punchline from these characters who are oh outside of this universe um you really get to feel something for these characters uh nicholas cage nicholas cage Nicholas cage uh nicholas cage has been getting a lot of voiceover uh work recently uh most recently he was uh superman in the teen titans go to the movies film and i did not know how i was going to feel about nicholas cage in this film but i can say after having seen it he was perfect casting he really was he got to play this pulp noir character and he would have certain like lines he would have certain like movements or certain um character quirks that really uh kind of sold to me how much of a noir character he was there's a moment where they're like all kind of 
uh, hopscotching through their origin stories, and he there's a moment where he has a match. He's like, sometimes I just like to light a match and watch it burn down to my fingers just so I can feel something. And he's like, he's so dark. But at the same time, you see him contrasted with everything else where he's like, at the end, he's got that Rubik's Cube. And he's just like, I don't understand this, but I will. And <laughs> it's just, he provided just enough, um, just enough comedy and just enough uh, real characterization that he didn't come off as a parody. Uh, one character that I thought was going to come off as a parody really easily was Penny Parker. Penny Parker is another alternate spider person, and she comes from a universe where she has this kind of like psychic bond with a spider that is essentially living inside of this, you know, this anime style robot. And all of her actions are anime. All of her, like, her world is very anime inspired. And so she got to do a lot of, um, a lot of those kind of stereotypical anime movements and she was of course the hacker and anyone who plays overwatch will immediately see parallels between her and uh, diva and there's a lot to go with that uh that comparison they're very similar characters uh there's even a point where uh she's inside of the robot which is called spider and she's like hacking something and you see her like just go into town on like a bowl of like candy or something which is something that diva also does but i really enjoyed her as a character i thought that they gave her they kind of simplified what her character is in the comics uh just so that they didn't have to go through all of the other stuff that makes her a spider character so i enjoyed her and then at the end when her her uh, machine gets broken you really feel something like i was i was a little uh got me a little bit but um we did see her rebuilding at the end of the film so that was great and then finally we come to peter porker the amazing spider ham voiced by john mulaney and as much as i would love to say that Nicolas Cage was perfect casting for Spider-Man Noir. As much as I would like to say that Jake Johnson was a perfect Peter Parker, that Shameik Moore was a perfect Miles Morales, John Mulaney is probably the best and smartest casting they made for the entire film. Because he is magic as this character. He gets all of the Looney Tune style of uh, phrases, of talking, of... Uh, movement there's a moment where like they're all saying their goodbyes and he pulls out this like this cartoon hammer that you have seen a million times uh throughout kids in your childhood and he hands it to miles he's like i want you to have this for me it fits in your pocket and he's just there's oh he's so good he provides a lot of the comedic relief which we assume that he would just because it's Spider-Ham, which is a ridiculous character already. And he's voiced by John Mulaney, who is one of my favorite comedians. And he just blends so well. And you see that he provides something that all of the other characters lacked, which is what I really liked about the full uh, one, two, three, four, five, six people in the Spider-Crew, is they all made up for each other's weaknesses. And they all fit together really well as a team so i enjoyed all of them and i really enjoyed 
again their animation styles how they showed that each one could be different and you could easily spin these characters off into films or uh tv shows or whatever in these styles of animation and that's segue what i have next on my list is the animation the animation was incredible i really enjoyed how the animation looked sort of stop motion but at the same time cgi uh it's something i really haven't seen before and the way that they use the animation the fluidity of the choreography um just how things moved how things breathed you felt like every single scene had character the city itself really felt alive which is sometimes hard to do in an animated film and i just it was so good and it again showing off the different animation styles showing off how they all interact with each other the little glitches that all of the other spy crew would have because they aren't supposed to be in miles dimension was really interesting and i made i thought it made a really great uh weakness for these characters who in all respects should be you know godlike and unstoppable so i really enjoyed that and it blended really well with the soundtrack i was a little worried at times that the soundtrack would get in the way of um like emotional resonance of the scenes or get in the way of dialogue or get in the way of how we're supposed to feel in any given moment but the soundtrack enhanced the film and i think it goes to show that um having a soundtrack that's current that features uh artists and music that you wouldn't readily expect to be in a comic book movie can and will work and i thought that having that really peppered in some more flavor for the film itself and made it again feel more alive and i just i i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed the film um the one downside i would uh kind of bring up is the villains uh the villains i thought um were fine uh i i kind of would have preferred if okay so here's my thing if the film was going to stay just about miles i would have preferred that aaron davis slash the prowler be the main antagonist but seeing as how we did expand we needed a bigger villain the kingpin was a great choice i think that my uh perspective on it is a little um oh what's the word biased because i loved what vincent d'onofrio has been doing as the kingpin in daredevil and this character is much more this version of the kingpin is much more dumbed down much more uh simplified like a lot of the characters in the film where he's just kind of a uh kind of like a stereotypical like soprano style gangster and i i'm not gonna say that they were bad villains because they weren't but we could have had more depth with them we could have had more time with them and in a movie that has to explain and introduce all of these characters it's kind of hard to do that but i liked the moments that he that we had to check out his backstory get his story with vanessa and because i'm i'm a huge fan of the vanessa wilson fisk relationship so i loved seeing her in there with her trademark white streak that she has in the comics and i i enjoyed how emotional the ending fight between him and miles got with the fact that kingpin was the one who killed 
uh, his uncle Aaron and the fact that Miles is definitely not ready to fight him on his own, but that he has to do this for him and for his uncle. Really, it resonates with you as an audience, and it makes you want to see Miles win, which is what good storytelling should do. And I thought that it was it was great. The one villain that I will say I was surprised at and I would have liked more time with was Olivia Octavius, a.k.a. Doc Ock. In this uh, reality, in Miles Morales' reality, Doc Ock is not Otto Octavius, it is Olivia Octavius. And her quirky, weird scientist um, persona I really enjoyed. It was a really, really nice surprise because we got to see um, her character kind of throughout, building up through the film into okay she's the lead scientist at alchemax which is a great call over to uh spider-man 2099 and um seeing her kind of start to interact with peter and like going kind of mad scientisty, and then she reveals her name is olivia octavius oh man it was great it was great and it's a different um it's a different take on the character that not a lot of people have seen before they did introduce a female doc ock uh, in the comics in the last few years but that's that interpretation was very different from the one that we saw here and i really enjoyed it and i hope this version uh returns in potential sequels to this so uh before i go on to uh the post credit scene and looking forward into the future of this film i have to touch on the stanley cameo the Stanley cameo is as perfect a Stanley cameo as there has ever been in any Marvel film ever. Uh, this might be influenced by the fact that uh, he passed recently, but I, oh man, I shed a few tears through this film. And the Stanley cameo is probably where I shed the most. Because the whole setup, the whole setup is that it's after Peter Parker has died in this universe. They've revealed who he is. Uh, Miles goes to this costume shop where they've got like Spider-Man, like rinky-dink Halloween costumes. And he goes to purchase it. And Stan Lee is the... Um, He's the store clerk at the costume shop. And he starts off his lines just saying, I'm going to miss him. That hit me. And then he gives a line that I think is the line for a Stanley cameo. For me, and some of you have picked up on this, especially with the uh, Stanley episode that we did, um, my favorite Stanley cameo in line. Maybe not the cameo, but the line was from Spider-Man 3, where he and Peter Parker are looking up at this news report about Spider-Man, and they're celebrating like Spider-Man Day. And he looks over at Peter and he says, you know, I guess one person really can make a difference. And that line really spoke to me. This line, this whole interaction between him and Miles... I think is even better because Miles is purchasing this costume and he's like, you know, can I return it? What if it doesn't fit? 
And Stanley looks at him with that twinkle in his eye, and he says, It always fits eventually. And even though it was like directly after that kind of played for laughs because it then pans over to the sign where it says uh, no returns no refunds and stanley gives that like uh mischievous smile that he always has uh that really spoke to me and spoke to the uh the message of this film and the message of this film is that anyone can be spider-man you could be spider-man i could be spider-man don't tell anyone but you Anyone can be Spider-Man. Anyone can put on the mask. Anyone can be a hero. And I think that's what that cameo in this film really wanted to tell the audience. And I think it accomplished it in spades. I thought that the they also did a, a little kind of bumper right before the actual credits rolled. And it showed a, uh, a quote from Stan Lee. I'm going to look it up right here on the air because I don't want to mess it up um, we are doing this live and I am just vamping for time if you don't know what vamping means it means just carrying on um, speaking to fill the time while other stuff is going on in the background or in this case, behind the mic. Here it is. So, there's a quote from Stanley showing his glasses at the very end of the film. And the quote says, That person who helps others simply because it should or must be done, and because it is the right thing to do, is indeed, without a doubt, a real superhero. And that quote, sums up the entire movie, sums up the entire spirit of Spider-Man, and sums up everything that Stanley felt about heroism. It comes from a uh, from an interview that uh, Stanley once gave, just centered on the idea of heroism. And it's... I think if this had come out before Stanley's death, it would have had a different meaning, still fulfilling and whatnot. But this, having it come after his death and the idea um the idea of who who i'm gonna get ulterior talking about this but the idea that no matter where you come from no matter what your background if you have a need inside of you to help other people not because you have to but because it's the right thing to do speaks to me and speaks to the spirit of comic books and superheroes in general. Not just Spider-Man, everyone. Um, I think that there is something to be said about Stanley's uh, contributions to pop culture and comic books with Marvel, the MCU, everything that sprung out of that. But the idea that he inspired people with his words through his characters or through interviews really um, puts a perspective on how much one man really can make a difference. So um, following that, uh, that quote being superimposed on the screen, they uh, throw up another title card thanking both Stanley and Steve Ditko, who did pass within months of each other. And the two creators of Spider-Man getting to getting that 
um, that respect owed to them for helping to create this character and make this character what he is. Uh, even if the focus was Miles Morales, every person, every spider person throughout comics history has always been influenced by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee's original Peter Parker. And so I thought that was very touching. That, that little ending quote also made me tear up. And uh, yeah, so that's i'm gonna get off my uh, my soapbox my stanley soapbox uh, but i just thought that it was incredible and i thought that it was a great uh great inclusion and for it to be the first stanley cameo following his passing i think was apropos and i thought it was great um but moving on from that uh we did get a post-credit scene which made me you might even hear right now made me grin from ear to ear i loved it i absolutely loved it because after everything finishes up you get this first person perspective after it says meanwhile in nueva york i got it immediately because i know what nueva york means and they also had the uh touch of uh alchemax as a plot point in the film setting up that uh that idea but Following that, you have a um, just a first-person perspective through um, through the eyes of someone walking down a hallway and speaking to an AI that is speaking back to him. And this AI, uh, I believe, is named Lila. Um, I want to say it's named Lila. If I'm wrong, please feel free to correct me. But, um, and you immediately start to see that this AI is talking to him back and forth, back and forth. And it's a familiar voice, like asking like, oh, I took like a two hour nap, what happened? And she's like basically recounting to him the events of this film. And so he's like, okay, so we've got work to do. And they see, you see that they've got like this, um, this little band, this little, uh, um, wrist gauntlet thing and it's supposed to be able to allow him to jump between universes at will which is something that they haven't been able to do at all in this film and so it pans out and it shows spider-man 2099 miguel o'hara fan favorite a lot of people uh, we're really up in arms when this movie was announced, saying, you know, boo, why is there Spider-Man 2099? Why is there Penny Parker? Why is there Spider-Man? Bring us Spider-Man 2099. And I understand that. Believe me. I understand that. Because he is essentially the Spider-Man version of Batman Beyond. And I love both of those characters. But I loved this cameo at the end because not only does it set up Spider-Man 29 to appear in future films, but it also sets him up for his own adventures as well, if they so choose. And the reason that I think that he could get his own adventures on his own or movies focused on him is because of who voiced him. A lot of times you see with uh, animated characters when they go when they are a certain ethnicity such as mexican such as uh, hispanic or latino uh, like miguel o'hara is you see a lot of um stereotypical 
choices when it comes to voice acting. A lot of um, comedians, a lot of stuff like that. But I absolutely loved the voice that they gave to him because the voice they gave to him was Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac is an incredible actor. He's someone I would love to work with one day. And he is leading man quality. And he fits that character so well. Just from that vocal perspective, but also through his acting chops. He fits that character so well, and it makes me excited to see where he goes. Now, that's in the uh, next thing I'm going to talk about. What I want to talk about right now is the actual post credit scene. Because um, with this dimension-hopping uh, bracelet... Miguel says that he is going to go on his own dimension hopping adventure and he is going, he's starting back at the beginning. After that, it pans over and it shows that what he means is the 1967 Spider Man animated show. The original, like, dun 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 dun, Spider Man, Spider Man, that show with the awful animation, the costume that only has the webbing on his gloves and his mask, and it it's so bad that it's amazing. And um, everyone up to this point, the the biggest thing that people really take away from it nowadays is the meme of Spider Man pointing at Spider Man. We've got uh, two Spider Men identical looking at each other and people but like you know when so and so and so and so see each other and <laughs> uh miguel hops into it his uh slick animation turns and turns him into the same animation from the original 1967 show he inserts himself into that's that exact scene and they start pointing at each other, and it is incredible. And they start going back and forth, back and forth. And I'm sure it's not the same voice actor from the 1967 show, but it sounds just like him. And the two of them going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, pointing at each other. We get a little pan over to a classic J. Jonah Jameson, like, just going like, Ah, Spider-Man! Like, it was incredible. I really loved it. It did... It did two things, both, uh, one, it set up Miguel to join the rest of the Spider crew in uh, sequels, which are reportedly already under development, but it also gave a wink and a nod to the idea that, yes, we know about this meme, we are making fun of this meme just like you are, we are aware of it, and we are celebrating Spider-Man in all of his forms. And that is something that I loved about the film in general, is that it celebrates spider-man in every sense of the word and it doesn't uh try to do too much to do that so a lot of the marvel films end up um, relying on comedy a lot which is fine comedy is a great way to reach your audience uh marvel films are usually chock filled with comedy but what this film did is it didn't um it didn't focus on comedy to the point at the expense of the narrative, at the expense of character, which uh, has been a complaint at certain points recently in the MCU, that they focus more on the comedy than the actual character development. And I thought this film struck the perfect balance of that. Uh, and that includes this Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man meme. And I, I just, I thought the film was incredible. Um, I know I keep saying that a lot, but I don't want to go into the... Uh, 
the cliched ways of calling it amazing and spectacular and uh, ultimate and all the other things that it's been friendly neighborhood so final thoughts on this film um go see it go see it it's incredible it is one of my favorites i'm not even gonna say spider-man it's one of my favorite comic book films of all time it's not just a good animated film it's not just a good spider-man film it's not just a good comic book film it is an incredible film in itself as a piece of uh, entertainment and as an adaptation of these characters that we have all come to to really love and i'm glad that miles morales is finally getting this big stage to show off just how good of a character he is because he is he is so good and getting all of these people who are not as familiar with him suddenly meeting him learning about him and going dude miles morales is awesome is great in my eyes there's no downside to that so i really love this i really think you should check this out if i had to give it a arbitrary rating i would you know what i'm I'm gonna go for it i would give this a five out of five i would i think this is as good as a spider-man movie could ever be um i'm looking forward to seeing more i am incredibly proud of everything about this film and i'm i'm incredibly proud to be a comic book fan because i get to experience stuff like this so um that is the review for spider-man into the spider-verse i again i loved it if you have seen it let me know what you thought feel free to tweet at me at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained pod also feel free to send me emails because i'm an old man and i still read emails you can send any of those to geeksplained at gmail.com um that is it for me this year is starting to come to a close uh we are nearing 2019 with every minute and i will um hopefully have a lot in store coming in 2019 but i wanted to make sure that i talked about this film before uh or as soon as i could because i loved it and i think you will too so that is the review stick around after the jump for this week in comics and if you haven't seen this movie yet go see it if you have see it again welcome to this week's edition of comics countdown uh quick note thank you to listener and good friend of the podcast andrew for suggesting a new name for the segment the name is always pending uh this week in comics has transformed into this week's comic countdown um name pending as always but i am happy with this one i really like this one it just kind of it rolls it rolls so um we're gonna jump right into it uh if this is your first time listening to the podcast uh comics countdown is the segment where i rank the top five sometimes more comics that i think you should pick up this week uh this is going up a little late, so if you haven't already done your pull list, let me show you my list, and you will see some comics that I think you should pick up. Uh, I said last week the uh, the big two, Marvel and DC, have been, I think, really backloading this year uh, with good quality comics. So um, there were a couple spells throughout this year where, you know, 
it was just you know three or four comics uh two or three comics that i would pick up every week but like this past uh this past month has really been like you know seven or eight comics a week but this week i have whittled it down to the top five what it's supposed to be so i will go ahead and list those off uh i will be giving you the title the creative team as well as doing a quick synopsis and um i will as always be using my synopsis voices if you have a voice that you would like to uh request me to read some of these synopses in feel free to request them at uh at geeksplain pod on twitter or through email on uh you can send those to geeksplain at gmail.com but we are kicking this off this week the week that uh spider-man into the spider-verse releases with a spider-man book this is going to be peter parker's spectacular spider-man number 313 that's 313 uh this is a spider getting tie-in by uh sean written by sean ryan with art by juan Fergari and philip tan and uh this book has been kind of the companion piece and kind of the reason why the main line peter parker hasn't been involved in the spider getting book at all uh it's really been focusing on the other spider-men which makes sense seeing as how uh Miles Morales is the lead in uh, Into the Spider-Verse. They wanted to have him kind of be the leader and the focus for this spider crossover. So they've kind of kept Peter off to the side fighting Morloon throughout uh, New York, which has been actually really engaging. Uh, the most recent Spectacular Spider-Man run by uh, Chip Zdarsky with uh, art by Adam Kubert and uh, Joe Quinones has been one of my favorite runs on Spider-Man. And I was really sad to see them go right before this big Spider-Geddon event kicked off. But this new team has been putting in some quality work. So uh, we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis. A Spider-Geddon tie-in. It's the end of the road for Peter Parker. Morloon has returned and Peter's only ally, J. Jonah Jameson, is doing his best. But can it possibly be enough? So this is the final tie-in in this book to uh, the Spider-Geddon book. I believe the last issue of Spider-Geddon comes out next week. So, um, yeah, this is going to be wrapping up the story. It's been pretty good just watching uh, Spider-Man kind of be outclassed by Morloon and having to get inventive. So I have been enjoying it so far. I enjoyed this book, and I think you should pick this up. Uh, next up, we have a... Uh, a book that I don't feel as confident with, and that is Superman number six, uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Ivan Reese. And I think, I think this is it. I think this is the uh, the last book in the Superman, in the current Superman run that I'm going to be picking up. I've been trying to <clears throat> hold on to it for uh, the sake of completing the first arc. I always like to stick through a full first arc of a book before I make my uh, make my decision on whether I'm going to keep picking it up, but I think this is one of those that I'm going to stop at the first arc. Uh, the first arc is getting wrapped up in this issue, and I I just haven't been the biggest fan of this book since uh, Bendis came on. Nothing against him; he's done incredible work, but it's just not connecting for me, uh, and I think that has to do a lot with. Ben is trying to reset Superman to 
uh, how we are really how he likes to write him kind of simplified uh getting rid of the family dynamic and it's it's like teetering on action comics but for this book i just i can't um it's been i mean the art is beautiful they've been pulling out all the stops to try to get people to stick with the book but i think for me i'm gonna jump off here but um just for again the sake of completing the first arc i still think you should pick this up uh it also provides a great teaser into the next arc of the book. So here is the uh, synopsis for that. It's the moment you thought you'd never see. Superman must team with General Zod to defeat Rogal Zar or risk banishment for all three in the cold prison of the Phantom Zone forever. Whatever you do, do not skip to the last page. The end of this issue changes the lives of Superman and his family forever as the Unity Saga continues. So yeah, it, <clears throat> the synopsis kind of gives away that the uh, the last page moves the uh, story forward, which the end, the last page of the end of an arc should always do. But again, uh, this is kind of where I'm going to jump off this book and um it's it's been a good run but uh this is gonna be my last one to uh to counteract that talking about jumping from one jump jumping off of one book and jumping onto another we have detective comics number 994 um i am so excited about this book uh, this is being written by Peter J. Tomasi, a.k.a. one of the best Batman and Superman writers in the last few years. Uh, art by Doug Monkey, who is incredible. And I think his kind of um, uh, realistic yet horror-inspired art is going to fit really well here. Uh, this is this book detective comics has been consistently great ever since they started it again with uh dc rebirth and this book is going to be carrying itself into uh this is the team that's going to be carrying itself into uh detective comics number 1000 and i could not be happier about this uh this book is going to be firing on all cylinders and i cannot wait ever since tomasi left the superman book I have been waiting and hoping and praying that he would jump on something that was as high profile as the mainline Superman book, and this is as good as you can get. So you should definitely pick this up and definitely stick with this throughout into uh, the 1000th issue, but uh, let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Batman's strangest case begins as the new creative team of writer Peter J. Tomasi and artist Doug Monkey take over Detective Comics. Commissioner Gordon calls in the Dark Knight Detective when there's a murder at the Gotham City Aquarium, staged to look exactly like Thomas and Martha Wayne's crime scene, right down to the playbill and pearls. How does this bizarre homicide tie into the shadowy monster that attacks Dr. Leslie Tompkins? This creature looks to wage a war on Batman, and it's using Joker Cass to do it. So yeah, uh, this book's great. Um, Any time that we delve into... Batman's deeper psyche and his emotional trauma with uh, the death of his parents is always a good time. Not a fun time, but a good time. So I think you should definitely pick this up. This is 
shaping up to be a, a seminal run on this book and on this character. Uh, next up, another Batman book. Uh, this is Batman Annual number three, written by Tom Taylor with art by Otto Schmidt. I really love Otto Schmidt's art. Uh, most recently, he's been kind of he's been really killing it on the Green Arrow book. Uh, he kind of kicked off the team with uh, I want to say Benjamin Percy during the uh, initial Rebirth run, and he is firing on all cylinders here. Uh, this is a great, great story, a real uh, inclusive look on uh, or not inclusive introspective look on uh, the relationship between Batman and Alfred. So let's jump into the synopsis, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about it. The Other Side of the Penny Alfred Pennyworth has been Batman's most trusted ally and confidant since the Dark Knight first hit the streets of Gotham City. Now witness Batman's battle for justice from Alfred's perspective, and learn how harrowing that journey has been as Batman experiences one of the worst nights Gotham City has ever seen. A night that will push Alfred to the breaking point. Best-selling writer Tom Taylor presents an epic tale that promises to be one of the best Alfred stories ever told. So yeah, um, I love any story that prominently features Alfred in it because he is one of the best characters in comics and his relationship with Bruce is so complicated and so um, deep that any time that any writer or artist team decides to explore it, I'm always there for it. So definitely pick this one up. The Batman annuals have been nothing short of amazing every single year, and this one is no different. And finally, we begin, or we end our list where it began with another Spider-Man book, this being Miles Morales' Spider-Man number one. Uh, this is written by Saladin Ahmed and drawn by Javi Garon. This book is just what you need after seeing Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, this is a great book that, again, uh, brings Miles back down to a relatable level. He's been palling around with the champions. He's been doing all these sorts of uh, crossovers. Most recent one with the Spider-Geddon that wraps up next week. But this brings him back down to street level. This brings him back down to his own problems. And this brings him front and center of his own book once again. Uh, his last book ended as uh, Bendis left the uh, left Marvel Comics. And this one gets to start right up. Saladin Ahmed has been killing it on Black Bolt for the last year and a half. And now he's getting his hands on a more street level character so i'm really really interested to see throughout his run how he handles the um kind of bringing his storytelling back down to earth so here's the synopsis for this balancing his normal life school parents etc and superheroing has never been easy. But when the rhino and a cadre of mysterious criminals starts plaguing Brooklyn, things take a dark turn. And Miles doesn't even know the half of it yet. Eisner Award winner Saladin Ahmed of Black Bolt and young gun Javier Garon of Ant-Man and the Wasp bring you the latest incarnation of the coolest character in the Marvel Universe. So yeah, uh, really good stuff. Uh, this book was great and a great start to a run uh this is also i think really interesting that um this book is like a lot of marvel comics recently uh is uh emblematic of the current climate today uh when it comes to um 
I don't I don't want to say it's super political, but it does touch on stuff that is going on that is relevant today. And I really enjoy getting to see heroes uh, throughout both Marvel and DC deal with problems that we are dealing with in the real world right now. And I think that as a mixed race character, speaking both uh, to his African American father and his uh, Latina mother, I think he is a perfect character to have that perspective with all of the uh, political and social unrest that's going on right now. So that is my top book of the week. That is the book that I think you definitely need to pick up, especially if you've just seen Into the Spider-Verse. And that uh, wraps up the list for this week's comic countdown. Uh, to summarize, we've got Detective Comics number 994, Superman number 6, Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man, number 313, Batman Annual, number 3, and Miles Morales, Spider-Man, number 1. Uh, that is going to do it for this week. Uh, I told you guys last week that I'm kind of figuring out my holiday schedule right now, and I just found out that I am getting clearance to go home for Christmas. So I am going to be uh, taking a short break while I get things together and go on a little bit of a Christmas vacation. So uh, for the rest of this month, unfortunately, that means we won't be having any uh, episodes for the end of the year. This is going to be kind of our uh, year-end episode. So um, next week, the 19th, and the week after that, the 26th, uh, don't expect uh, episodes if something happens, I'll try and get an extra in, but I don't expect anything like ridiculous happening in the next two weeks. So we will reconvene here on the second with our uh, next and final installment for our Kingdom Hearts series. It has been a joy uh, going through that series with you folks, and it has been uh, an honor and a privilege getting to uh, converse with you guys this entire year. Um, I am super thankful for all of you for listening. Uh, we've recently, in the last uh, uh, last couple weeks, we passed over a thousand listeners, and I think that's incredible. And I want to say thank you for that. Um, this has been a learning process. I've never, uh, <laughs> I've never really, uh, done a podcast before, especially not something that's as, uh, consistently week to week as this is. So I want to say thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been fantastic and I'm looking forward to doing, uh, bigger and better things for next year. Um, looking over the stats uh, earlier, I noticed that we have a uh, we have at least one listener in Austria and one listener in Ukraine. So I want to say to those listeners, thank you for listening, thank you for joining us, uh, and thank you and others from outside the U.S. in making this a global podcast. And I do appreciate everything that uh, you guys put to downloading to just listening and um everything helps everything helps so i do appreciate that uh look forward to more in 2019 uh i think i'm gonna go ahead and sign off here because i know at this point i'm probably rambling and uh yeah so 
for all of you uh thank you so much for listening in 2018 we will check back with you in the new year so merry christmas happy new year we will see you in one two three weeks with the final installment of the kingdom hearts uh retrospective series and for geek explained for one last time this year one last time for 2018 this is eric zana thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time <laughs>